My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows the urgency of the situation, but most people are not directly looking at it. They put it to the side, they put it out of their mind because it's too big to think about. Even though Kim and I got this motion passed in the terms of what has to be done, it is so, so small. I really have come around to the idea that nonviolent direct action is the only way forward. That's the voice of Gillian McGuire. She and Kim Benson are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Gillian McGuire is an English teacher at Kitsilano Secondary School on unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territory in Vancouver, B.C. Kim Benson is a teacher on call at the elementary level in the Sea to Sky School District on the unceded territory of the Squamish Nation north of Vancouver. As such, both are members of the British Columbia Teachers Federation, or BCTF. Like so many of us in recent years, Maguire and Benson have been grappling with the enormity of the climate crisis and its implications for, well, everything. For Maguire, a key moment happened two summers ago, when she encountered a blockade by climate action group Extinction Rebellion on Vancouver's Burrard Street Bridge. At around the same time, Benson started doing a lot of reading on the topic and began to understand the urgency of the crisis. Both were inspired to get active. Then a few months ago, the two of them met for the first time, fittingly at a public talk related to the climate crisis. They got to talking and realized that they had both been wondering about whether their pension plan had divested from fossil fuels. Divestment is a strategy of encouraging particularly institutions to pull their money out of fossil fuel industries. This can introduce practical impediments to industrial activities that contribute to the climate crisis, but perhaps more importantly, can be a powerful way of delegitimizing such activities. In BC, all teachers are part of the same pension plan. As with other public sector pensions in the province, it's managed by two provincial crown corporations. One deals with members, and the other, called the BC Investment Management Corporation, or BCI, does the investing. The plan is governed by a 10-member board, half of whom are appointed by the provincial government, and the other half of whom are appointed by the BCTF. The BCTF is a union with a history and a self-image, suggesting a particular commitment to an activist vision of social justice. However, while it certainly has had important moments of militance and of engagement with international solidarity over the decades, Maguire and Benson were disappointed to learn that despite years of work by activists within the union, it had taken no steps towards divesting its pension plan from fossil fuels. So they decided to start the BCTF Divest Now campaign. They reached out to teachers that they knew and put together a core group that wanted to be involved. Within a couple of weeks, they had a social media and web presence, and they discovered that two motions committing the union to divestment were already slated to go to the BCTF annual general meeting in March. Though unions are, for the most part, democratic, 
bureaucracy can still make it very hard for activists to get things done. It meant, for instance, that divestment motions in prior years did not make it to the convention floor for a vote, and it made working through union channels in support of this year's motion difficult and frustrating. So the BCTF Divest Now campaign decided that the best tactic would be to build pressure outside of regular union channels. They developed a petition and began to circulate it far and wide, and they began to build public pressure on the union to act. And this time, one of the divestment motions made it to the AGM floor, and BCTF members voted by an overwhelming margin to pass it. It's not clear what happens next. Because of how the pension plan is governed, divestment is not as simple as a unilateral union decision. The campaign is still figuring out its next steps, but McGuire and Benson suspect that ongoing pressure both inside and outside the BCTF will continue to be necessary. In the grand scheme of things, McGuire and Benson see divestment as useful, but as only one facet of what is necessary. Ultimately, they see governments of all parties and at all levels as complicit with fossil fuel industries in delaying substantial responses to the climate crisis, and they believe that large-scale nonviolent direct action and mass protest will be necessary to achieve the kind of just transition that the world needs. I speak with McGuire and Benson about the climate crisis and about the BCTF Divest Now campaign. My name is Gillian McGuire. I work on Musqueam, Swailtooth, and Squamish traditional territories, so-called Vancouver. I work at Kitsilano Secondary, and I'm an English teacher. My name is Kim Benson, and I live and work on the unceded territory of the Squamish Nation, and I am a teacher on call, and I work as an elementary school teacher. Jillian and myself co-founded BCTF Divest Now campaign because we really needed to do something and step up action for our union and our pension holdings to divest. How did each of you first get active around the climate crisis? I have been aware that our resource extraction and our fossil fuel addiction have been destroying the earth for a fair number of years. Two summers ago, I was on my way home and there was an Extinction Rebellion blockade on Burrard Street Bridge. And I stopped. I kept kind of going back. It, it lasted for a fair number of hours. And I met a number of people there. And I just thought, wow, like people are doing things. And then over the next year, I got involved with that organization with, you know, demonstrations, stopping traffic. And through Extinction Rebellion, one of my colleagues there had let me know that the BCTF invests through this BCI and our pensions are full of fossil fuels and other earth damaging stocks. Because the BCTF always talks about itself as a social justice union. I had just always assumed that we had divested years ago. And then I met Kim, I think it was through an Extinction Rebellion talk. And Kim was equally shocked. And so we thought, okay, now that we know, we have to take some action. And this was, I found out maybe two and a half, three months ago. And about two months ago, Kim and I decided that we were going to make sure that the BCTF divests from these companies. A couple of years ago, I got a concussion slipping on a floor at one of my schools. And one of the things I needed to do was to read it was very difficult for me to read in the beginning, but when I started to read, I became voracious, and what I was reading was everything I could on the climate crisis. I began a journey down the climate literacy road, and what I discovered was I thought, man, you know, like, we need to be talking about this, and no one was talking about it. 
I mean, I felt like I was walking around and the only person that was understanding what was really going on in the world. So I wanted to engage teachers. So I started a Teachers for Future Canada, just an Instagram presence, just to engage teachers and to share content and information and to connect teachers from so-called Canada with other countries in Europe, teachers who were doing the same work. And that journey led me first to, I attended a lot of protests and these actions really helped me to understand what we're up against as far as divesting from fossil fuels and moving towards a sustainable, restorative world. I was investigating separately through the BCTF the question, have we divested from fossil fuels? And the answer was no. And again, that's where Jillian and I met at an Extinction Rebellion talk and just went from there. We decided that enough with meetings and going through the usual protocols to engage people and this institution with divestment, and we decided that it needed to be a public conversation and that a public conversation would invite more people to join it. Talk a bit more about the BCTF. The BCTF talks about itself as a social justice union, but I'm starting to doubt whether in fact we are a social justice union. We do support campaigns throughout the world, you know, financially, but the fact that we haven't taken a serious look at where we're allowing our money to be put really makes me question whether or not we're a social justice union. I would agree with that because our investment company, BCI, it itself is very much invested as a company in fossil fuels. All the answers that Kim and I have received when we talk about divestment is like, well, we can't. Because from what I can understand, BCI is for public pensions by law created by the government to invest on our behalf. And so what we were hearing is, well, we can't because this company is a government company. But I would think, you know, if we are truly a social justice union, that we wouldn't be taking no for an answer so easily. This is atrocious. We give a lot of money to BCI to invest on our behalf. It is a lot of money. It makes me dread every paycheck now because I know a portion of it is going to companies that are destroying our students' future. I feel the same way with that. I feel like every day I go to work, I'm not only contributing to the climate crisis and the futures of our students, but I'm also not supporting reconciliation because a lot of these fossil fuel companies are out there on Indigenous land and government is supporting industry to go ahead and do that. So it's a very disheartening feeling. We have a lot of money invested in RBC, which is the biggest funder of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline on Wet'suwet'en territory. And at the very least, that should have been stopped by now. We also have money in Trans Mountain. And we have no choice, and we're not in any way able to make a decision about where our money is put. What exactly is divestment, and why is it an important part of taking climate action? We have to create new ways of providing energy and to reconstruct our societies so that we are investing in these sustainable, restorative practices. And we can't do it when billions of dollars are still propping up the fossil fuel industry. So we can't even really get started on addressing the climate crisis and respond to it effectively when industry and government continues to throw money at this. So divestment is essential and has been proven to be a powerful tool 
to shut down these destructive companies and to begin to move towards restorative sustainable. The companies that we're invested in are really, really bad companies. There are no ethical tar sand extractors, right? There are no ethical pipeline builders. We know it's a dying industry. So obviously, in terms of the climate crisis, we have to turn off the tap. And soon, you know, not in 10 years and not in 15 years, but we have to start doing it right now. And if we're still pouring money to subsidize it, Let's take forestry. I know it's not specifically in our fossil fuel demand. It will be soon. But let's take forestry, for example. BC is actually subsidizing the forest extraction by a million dollars a day. It costs us a million dollars a day to provide the infrastructure for companies like Teal Jones to cut down the forest. Uh, and Teal Jones is the logging company being opposed in the forest defense struggle at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island, in which huge numbers of activists protecting old-growth forests were arrested in 2021. And it's got to be the same with the fossil fuel industry, right? It's a dying industry, and the fact that we're subsidizing it is keeping it afloat. What was the process like of going from that first meeting where you knew you wanted to act on this issue to getting the campaign up and running? As soon as I met Kim, I was like, okay, here's somebody who's really into doing, is not just going to talk, we're going to do something. We immediately sent out messages to all of the teachers that we knew. We asked people to join and we got a small group of people in response. Within a couple of weeks, we had our Instagram set up. We had our website set up. And we found out that there were these two divestment motions that were already proposed to go to the AGM. I mean, it's a difficult process. Like we were trying to get our local unions to have positions on these motions. And every time you try to put something into a meeting, it just it kind of gets delayed for some other reason. And so it was a real challenge. We never did get our local unions to develop a position. But the motions were going to the AGM. And so on our website, we had a link to a petition encouraging the BCTF to adopt these resolutions that were at the AGM. It's really hard to get a large teaching community to act quickly because there are thousands of emails coming at people every day in the education field. But people were interested once they found out. Most people I spoke with were fairly shocked at the holdings that we had. And then I wasn't a delegate to the AGM by the time this came up. The elections in Vancouver were over. But Kim teaches on the Sea to Sky, and so she was able to get a seat at the AGM. So maybe I'll let Kim talk about the process of just getting those motions on the floor, because even getting them on the floor was a challenge. Teachers have been at this for a few years. I think from at least 2011, motions for divestment have been coming to the AGM, but never hitting the floor, always disappearing at some point or another. So it was pretty stressful when we had two motions coming and time is becoming very small and process is heavy and every minute counts. So one motion was moved to the side to make space for the one that did pass. And we just did that, I think, within 10 minutes or 15 minutes of a four-day AGM. So luckily and very heartening, the motion passed with a huge majority. So that tells us that most members want divestment and also investment in sustainable, restorative companies and investments. So that's a turning point, actually, and it's very encouraging. 
puts us in a good spot to engage more teachers in this conversation and exposing more teachers and more of the public in just exactly what BCI is. What have the conversations that you've had with other teachers about the climate crisis been like? Well, I think teachers are just like everybody else. Everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows the urgency of the situation. But most people are not directly looking at it. They put it to the side. They put it out of their mind because it's too big to think about. Even though Kim and I got this motion passed in the terms of what has to be done, it is so, so small. I mean, I guess it's a win, but there's a massive, massive road ahead of us just to get the teacher's pension plan to divest the BCTF funds. And, you know, I would hate people listening to think that, oh, getting a divestment motion passed is enough. It's not. I really have come around to the idea that nonviolent direct action is the only way forward. And there are a number of actions planned across Canada. There's a number of campaigns that are starting in April that will block traffic and block infrastructure, as is happening around the globe. What Kim and I are doing is something, but it's not even close to what's needed. I agree with the fact that most people have some sense of what's going on, but we're also bogged down in the machine of capitalism that we just don't have a moment to look up from our families, from paying our bills, from our long days, and then just trying to get, you know, a little bit of quiet reading time in our lives. So there's a lot of overtime you put in when you are working on a campaign like this. It's working all day at your job, and then it's hours before your job and hours after it, working on researching, working on the social media, and making connections with other people. But in general, I have found that when I have begun talking about the climate emergency and what we need to do as educators, I have not experienced a lot of conversation on my own. But within this group and the people who have gathered with this group, yes, I have found kindred spirits in this. So it's a good feeling. And talk more about the work of it. What do you need to do, practically speaking, to make a campaign like this happen? Well, you need other people that are going to dedicate some time to it. We were having weekly meetings. The labor that's involved is wading through all of the layers of bureaucracy and red herring information, even just getting the information. So we split up the companies that BCI is invested into. We all took a group and there's thousands of these companies and you don't know what these companies do. It doesn't have a description of what the companies do. So we were all Googling these companies and finding out what they were doing. And to be honest, what we are finding out is it was rare to find an ethical company in this list of companies. You know, we were emailed back and forth like, oh, my God, look what I've just found. These are global leaders in fossil fuel extraction companies. And it's just one after the other. It's a lot of grunt work, to be honest. A lot of the labor is in, you know, I was doing the Twitter and Kim was doing the Instagram and the website. So getting the information and getting it out to people and then getting people to look at the information. And then even to get the motion past the layers of bureaucracy that are involved in our union was mind boggling. I wouldn't say that there's resistance to it, but, you know, everybody thinks that it's somebody else's job to do this. And nobody wants to take the initiative to take ownership of this particular process. There's protocol and there's levels of rules around who you contact and what information you can be given. And those structures are there. And that's fine for the world that used to be. 
But right now we are in an absolute climate emergency. Like we're on a time limit. So those rules need to be knocked down and new lines of communication need to be created so that we can effectively address this because we're on a time limit. And it's very frustrating when you're trying to get this information out to people and you're met with "Mm, a little resistance or it's not my job or I might defer you to someone else kind of thing. What does the motion passed at the recent AGM commit the BCTF to doing? We don't know. We know that the members have spoken and they want divestment, but we haven't heard anything back from the BCTF yet. One of the items on our agenda is getting in touch with the BCTF. We did find out that the teacher's pension plan has eight board members. Four are appointed by the government and four are appointed by the BCTF. And from what we've heard from Patrick at shift.org, who is working on a lot of divestment campaigns in Ontario, from what he suggested, if the teacher's pension plan board told BCI that they want to divest, then BCI is obligated then to divest. So we have to figure out how to get the BCTF to take action to direct at least their four members of the teacher's pension plan to divest. And then I don't know what we do about the four government ones. I guess we only need one of the four government ones if we can get all four of the TPP ones. But yeah, since the motion was passed, we haven't heard anything. So we will be following up with the DCTF to see how this is going to play out. You mentioned earlier that one choice you made was orienting your campaign not towards quote-unquote proper channels within the union bureaucracy, but towards bringing more public kinds of pressure to bear. Talk about why that was important and about what role you see for public pressure at this point. First of all, we have to educate the public. So that's what we're doing. Our campaign definitely is working at educating the public. And from that, once the public has been educated and understand what's going on, then the public can rally, then the public can take action. And honestly, we are not going to get anything done unless the people come out and demand that our government takes action because our government is unmotivated. They are industry connected and corporate clouded. And certainly we have seen countless times how government supports industry, destructive planet killing industries like Teal Jones in forestry and like CGL with fossil fuels. So direct action, civil disobedience is the way to go. And that's why this kind of public campaign is so essential. The work that we're doing in the BCATF is really essential, but it's not just going to be people, you know, going to a meeting and sending a few emails to try to get their union to divest. That's not going to be nearly enough. But people have to take a lot more action than that. Yes, definitely. I visualize 46,000 teachers, actually. (laughs) coming out for civil disobedience, protecting old growth and protesting against the fossil fuel expansion. How have you related to the youth climate organizing that's been so visible at certain points in the last several years? For myself, I have Teachers for Future Instagram, and as teachers, we are connected to the Fridays for Future organization. And I'm involved and in communication with Fridays for Future all over Canada, as well as in various parts of the world. So I am inspired by them, and I completely 100% support students walking out of schools and doing what they need to do to shout as loud as they can to motivate the adults around them, as well as government. 
because literally they are looking at a abominable future. And all the adults involved have to become supportive of that. So I'm very inspired by the youth movement. There is a group in Vancouver called Save Old Growth. And all of the organizers are young people. They're people in their 20s. And, you know, one of them has already been to jail. And when I think about the fact that we're putting, you know, 21-year-old student in jail for working to protect his future, it makes me so angry. And I, I, I really can't believe that not everybody is out on the street. I mean, in Vancouver now, we've had students, we've had professors, we've had an 80-year-old woman who was put in jail for protesting Trans Mountain. And it blows my mind that not everybody is out on the street saying, this has to stop. We cannot be putting our young people in jail for doing this any longer. We need to get out on the street with them and show them some support. I agree 100%. And every day I'm in school, I'm just thinking, what are we doing here? Like, honestly, we need to be out there right now because we don't have time. It's more important to be out there making these changes than it is to be just in the classroom for six hours a day. We need to be doing the activism part. Earlier in the interview, one of you used the phrase too big to think about to characterize the way in which the immensity of the climate crisis can push people to just avoid confronting it. From your experience, what advice would you give to people who are wrestling with the fact that this crisis is too big to think about? Do something. It's really easy to go to a demonstration. It's really easy to, you know, find a talk in your area. There are campaigns across Canada that are doing this. Find your local group that's making some noise and do something about it. I don't even know what to say when I talk to people who are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Well, good for you for doing something. And then they walk away and get on with their lives. I think, quite frankly, that anybody who's not doing anything about it, it's a complete abdication of their responsibility as a citizen on Earth. And especially teachers, like we're supposed to be there to ensure that our children have livable futures full of possibility and we're, you know, encourage them to think critically and how can we do that and also not be doing anything to prevent a violent extinction that's coming not too long in the future. I just think it's really irresponsible for people to not be doing anything else beyond, you know, the odd article about it or whatever. This avoidance behavior and procrastination is just delaying the inevitable because eventually the devastation will hit you and you will have an emotional response. I've had that experience already just in my learning about what's going on and reading IPCC reports. And it's this overwhelming feeling of solastalgia. And I'm an adult. I have coping skills and can see a therapist to talk about my emotions around climate breakdown. So, you know, what are our children feeling? As adults, and especially as teachers and educators, we are agents for change. We have to take responsibility and get out there and make the demands for change. We have a huge responsibility. You have been listening to my interview with Gillian McGuire and Kim Benson about the BCTF Divest Now campaign. To learn more about it, go to bctfdivestnow.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.